0: This is 100 Days of Dante, a podcast journey through Dante's divine comedy, one canto at a time. Join us online at 100daysofdante.com. Let's read together. Inferno Canto Five contains one of the most famous exchanges in the comedy, that between Dante and Francesca. A Canto 6 opens with that scene still lingering in the air. Uh, this interleaving technique resembles the interleaving rima rhyme scheme of the Italian. ABA, BCB, CDC, etc. So Canto 6 opens with, When I had regained my senses that had fainted, At the sight of these two kinsmen lovers, A piteous sight confusing me to tears. In Canto 3, Virgil explained to Dante that the sinners in hell had lost the good of reason, or the intellect. Here, we see the same thing has happened to Dante. When he sees these famous but adulterous and technically incestuous lovers in hell, he's overcome, both emotionally and intellectually, swooning, weeping, and fainting. Because at this point in the story, Dante the Pilgrim is not very far removed from Canto One's dark wood of error. So here it seems he has to wake yet again, like many of us, from a similar darkness. This recalls that famous comment by St. Augustine in his confessions, that before he became a Christian, he wept more for the death of Aeneas' Dido, who's in the circle with Francesca, by the way, than for his own sin. And it recalls Aristotle's comment in the Nicomachean Ethics that part of education and virtue is learning how to feel pleasure and pain at the right things, for the right reasons, at the right times, and in the right way. So, both intellectually and emotionally, Dante the Pilgrim has a lot to learn, like most of us. He'll get there, as Dante the Poet hopes we will too, but for the Pilgrim? it requires a journey no less geographical than intellectual and moral for his intellect, his affections, and his will to become upright, wholesome, and free, as Virgil will say at the top of Mount Purgatory. So when reading, make sure you look for those places where Dante the Pilgrim identifies with sinners or partially experiences their contrapasso punishment and reform, especially around sins related to lust pride, knowledge, and eloquence. Uh, We each have our own set of vices. These just happen to be his. Let me also encourage you that as you read the poem, let it read you and let it draw your attention to those places where maybe you find yourself resonating with the struggle or the plight of some sinner or saint. So upon regaining his reason, Dante is immediately confronted with the suffering of the gluttonous. Or rather, we should say the unrepentant gluttonous. Since some gluttonous sinners are on Mount Purgatory preparing themselves for paradise, this is another feature we have to remember. What earns you a spot in Dante's Inferno is not sin, but the failure to repent of your sin, even if that repentance only comes in your dying breath. So these are the shades of unrepentant gluttons. Now, as he often does, Dante uses a mythical creature to symbolize some sin or vice. Here, it's the three-headed dog-like Kerberus, well-known from Ovid, Virgil, stories of Heracles, and, of course, for some, Harry Potter. Now, Dante's Kerberus is a three-headed demon who foreshadows the three-headed Lucifer will meet in Inferno 34, both of whom he will call worms, and both of whom are slobbering anti-Trinitarian figures mangling human creatures made in God's image. And both are images of the sinners they torment. So Cerberus's three heads bark incessantly, overwhelming the senses, much like the incessant barking of these sinners' bellies for food and drink. For this barking is the hunger of gluttony. or, Or better, not the hunger... But the craving of gluttony, the, the, the craving for the dopamine-induced pleasure we want rather than the nourishment we actually need. This is true whether we seek that pleasure from food and drink, sex and money, or knowledge and power. Also like Kerberis, intemperate humans are often happy to have our barking cravings satiated with almost anything. So here... Kerberus's baying mouths are momentarily stopped when Virgil chucks handfuls of muck and mud into them. In Book 6 of the Aeneid, Virgil has the Sibyl sop Kerberus with honeyed cakes. But this time, it's like Dante has Virgil see the truth about Kerberus that he doesn't actually need honeyed cakes to be momentarily satisfied. The appetites and tastes of our vices are rarely so refined, that they won't be satisfied with fistfuls of sop. C.S. Lewis, more influenced by Dante than almost any other author, echoes this in his great sermon, The Weight of Glory. He writes, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, Lewis says. That lesson is reinforced time and again in the comedy, clearly seen here in Kerberos' gluttonous satisfaction eating Virgilian mud pies. So, whether our vice is gluttony, envy, avarice, or lust, it is too often satisfied with whatever we can find to eat. Whatever weaker person we can devour, whatever widget we can acquire as consumers, or whatever bit of flesh our lust can feed on. But note the result. Though the gluttonous want warm comfort, all they're left with is the cold misery of continuous freezing rain. Because no version of mud pies can satisfy us. They don't settle our restless hearts or fill our craving bellies, but they leave us cold and empty like these shades. Because our hearts are restless and our bellies remain empty until we rest in God and feed at his table. Dante has other lessons to teach about gluttony, because the shade Dante meets here, Chaco, barely mentions food and drink, but instead discusses the gluttonous desire for political power that was tearing Dante's Florence apart and eventually tore Dante away from his beloved city forever. Chaco tells Dante that if Florence was a cup, it would be filled and overflowing with the envy, pride, and avarice of its political parties, who were devouring one another. But a person, a party, or a city full of these vices is never satisfied. But like Cerberus and the she-wolf of Canto One, always craves more, more power more prestige, more votes, more loyalty, all the while shredding and devouring communities, cities, and nations, whether Dante's or, of course, our own. Now, this contrast between earthly and heavenly politics, kingdoms of men and kingdom of God, runs right through the comedy. Hell and paradise can easily be read as two cities that resemble their two lords, the frozen and isolated Lucifer, intent on devouring the flesh of others, or the self-giving Trinitarian God of love, who generously invites others to a banquet at which he serves his own flesh and blood. Recall St. Augustine's explanation in The City of God that two cities are formed by two distinct loves. The earthly city, by the love of self, even to the contempt of God. The heavenly city, by the love of God, even to the contempt of self, though we meet this political theme for the first time here in Canto Six, it won't be the last. In fact, whereas Inferno Six is about the disorder of Florentine politics, Purgatorio Six is about the disorder of Italian politics, and Paradiso Six the disorder of world politics. Three sixes, no coincidence about demonic politics that nurture the faction and fratricide of hell, rather than the harmony and brotherhood of heaven. But finally, here I'll send you back into the canto a little bit. Dante suggests that we can be gluttonous not only for food and political power, but also for knowledge. Go back and see how many questions he asks in this canto. Note his almost frantic, urgent desire when he presses Chaco for somewhat gossipy, tabloid-like information implying that it's the same vice whether we are gluttonously devouring food, political opponents, or knowledge. This latter vice, named curiositas, is the moral vice that killed Icarus and the proverbial cat, almost killed the sorcerer's apprentice, led the little mermaid to her tragic and well-deserved demise, Faustus to lose his soul, and Ulysses or Odysseus into the pit of Inferno 26. This desire for forbidden knowledge is also how the sirens led sailors to their doom and partially how the serpent enticed Adam and Eve to eat the fruit, which looked good, remember, for both food and knowledge. Hence the reason Raphael in Paradise Lost warns Adam and Eve against the gluttonous intellectual appetite. So while Dante the Pilgrim doesn't necessarily possess a gluttonous desire for food or political power, he may, like some others of us, possess a gluttonous lust for knowledge of secret information. So, in this canto, Inferno six, like so many others, Dante the poet tries to tutor our intellect and our affections. Our intellect, when he hopes to see that gluttony is a capacious vice associated with the compulsive desire to consume food that misshapes our bodies, political power that misshapes our communities, and information that misshapes our souls. And our affections by associating this vice with the repulsive figures of Kerberus and ultimately Lucifer, and by revealing that the reward of that insatiable vice of gluttony is mud pies, cold rain, and eternal emptiness. Contrasted, of course, with the living water, warm bread, and nourishing wine freely offered at our Lord's table. These are lessons that we, like Dante the Pilgrim, have to learn again and again on our respective journeys from the dark woods to the heavenly light. Thank you for reading Dante's Divine Comedy with us. Continue the journey at 100daysofdante.com 100 Days of Dante is brought to you by the Baylor University Honors College with support from the Tory Honors College at Biola University, the Templeton Honors College at Eastern University, the University of Dallas, Whitworth University, and Gonzaga University in Florence.